0: The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org. One of the great things about Corey's story, she
1: was a far from perfect person, but she was a great forgiver and she was totally dedicated to honoring Jesus with her life, and that's a great lesson for any of us.
0: Coming up on First Person, we step back in time and take a look at the life of Cory Tenboom and a new book on her life. Welcome to our program. I'm Wayne Shepard. I'll introduce you to Stan Guthrie, the author of Victorious, as you stay with us now. These interviews are made possible by the Far East Broadcasting Company, who for nearly 75 years has been faithfully broadcasting the good news of the gospel. Without missing a beat, FEBC has not only increased its radio efforts, but is using new digital technologies to reach even more people with the message of hope and salvation. Please take a few moments to learn more about FEBC when you visit febc.org. FEBC, until all have heard. The story of Corrie Ten Boom is well known to many, although it may be unfamiliar to this generation. Corrie and her family suffered at the hands of the Nazis when they were found to be harboring Jews in their Holland home during World War II. Stan Guthrie decided to take a new look at Corrie's life by writing a book titled Victorious, drawing lessons from the life of this courageous woman for those of us living today. It's a great
1: story. It was one that I was familiar with, but uh, frankly, I didn't know a lot of the details, but uh, Corey was a middle-aged woman. I think she was about 52 in 1944 when uh, she and several members of her family and several members of the Dutch underground were um, arrested by the Gestapo. They were hiding Jews in their home. There was a little place in Corey's bedroom uh, that had been built into the wall in a secret way, and uh, that was called the hiding place. That's where the mm-hmm. title of the book comes from. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Corey and her father... and her sister, Betsy, were sent off to prison. Her father, who was in his 80s, um, died in about a week. She didn't learn about that until months and months later. But uh, they were sent to a prison and then to a couple of concentration camps, including Ravensbrück. And what Corey uh, found out there was that God is uh, deeper than any darkness that she could experience, that his love triumphed over the evil of the Nazis. And the book itself is just a fascinating picture of life of a Christian under pressure uh, who was not expecting to do anything heroic, but events were thrust upon her and through her faith and, and th- really through the um, presence of the Lord, she was able to triumph uh, victoriously
0: and uh uh spread her message around the world afterward. Yeah, it's a remarkable story. The Hiding Place, uh, it became a publishing phenomenon, didn't it? Yeah, it sold about three million copies, and, and it's still going. Yeah, I understand that. Of course, a movie was made, uh, was it made by the Billy Graham Association? Yes, by Worldwide Pictures, okay. uh, four years after the book came out. I remember it very clearly with Jeanette Clift uh, playing the role of, of Corey Tenboom. Mm-hmm. so this family a christian family in holland and by the way years ago i don't know if it's still there if, it, if it's still operating as a museum or not but years ago i i walked in front of the little watch shop um so to speak that was her
1: father's yeah the address is called the Bayer. yes uh-huh. <laughs> and uh yeah there there's a Cory ten boom house there now and uh yeah, it's still very famous.
0: Is it? Okay. All right. I didn't know what had happened in these intervening I mean, years, if they kept it going as a museum or it's, not. It's so. gone through several iterations. Yeah. Why did this message, and this, again, took place, uh, you know, the popularity in the 70s. Uh, you're too young for that. I, I, got to meet, <laughs> I got to meet her at one point. Uh, I, did never, I did, never did interview Corey Ten Boom, but I did get to meet her, and I was very aware of the story. But why did her message resonate in the 70s the way it did with Americans? Well, I think one of the reasons
1: was there was a sense that um, people had not really grappled with what had happened in World War II, for one thing. And Elizabeth Sherrill, who was one of the co-authors with her husband, John Sherrill, was looking for stories that would tell um, the, some of the the bad things that happened in World War II from a Christian perspective. She wanted a, a story about that and found it. But I think another and and more important reason— that it resonated is because Christians were becoming ripe for that sort of thing. Um, this is sort of still on the, maybe the tail end of the civil rights movement and Mm -hmm. evangelicals and other Christians maybe didn't do as much as they should at, at that time. But there was a sense that they needed more social involvement, more, um, interaction with the world. And so that started happening. And a really big factor I think was, uh, just the, the, the whole um, subject of Jewish people was really important back then. You know, this was the time of Hal Lindsey and the great late mm-hmm. great planet Earth. Just a whole sense of prophecy and what are, what are God's chosen people doing? How are they in the plan of salvation? And Corey's story is all about her incredible love that was given to her by her family for the Jewish people and how she really laid her life on the line
0: for them. Yeah. I would summarize her message as a message of, in the midst of suffering, God is there. That would be a a big part of her message. And forgiveness is a big part of Corey's message.
1: Yeah, there's a wonderful story in the book where she is um, speaking after it's all over, and she's been freed, and the war is over. And she runs across, for the first time, one of the guards who had been in Ravensbrook with her and her sister. And she recalled that he had been leering at the women who were basically... Being presented for an inspection of one kind or another, and they I were naked. Imagine, yeah, and you know, as a sort of a brutal memory in her life, and yet here's this man who comes up to her after she's spoken about forgiveness, and he thrusts out his hand and says, "Would you please forgive me, Freulein? Oh, I remember that <laughs> so well, <laughs> and she was, you know, stunned because she thought she had already forgiven. Everyone who needed forgiving, and she couldn't raise her arm to forgive him, hmm. and she prayed about it several times in those seconds, and finally asked Jesus to do it for her, and she felt basically almost like an electric spiritual shock in her arm, and and she grasped his hand, and um, she felt the forgiveness flooding through her, and she called him brother.
0: Hmm. Amazing. Well, we not only want to tell, retell the story, but we want to learn the lessons again in our time from uh, Corey Ten Boom. By the way, you mentioned the Cheryls who co wrote the book with her. They wrote uh, God Smuggler,
1: right? Yeah. And God Smuggler was about Brother Andrew's ministry, who is another Hollander. Mm -hmm. And he had actually done a little bit of underground work with Corey. It was. It was a little bit murky to find out the details.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because I, I was unaware of that until I saw that in your book.
1: Yeah, he was, they weren't really close, but, you know, in the underground, you you may have worked with people, but you didn't necessarily know a lot of details about them. In fact, it was better not to know and uh-huh. not to ask questions. But he was like a teenager at this point, and she was in her 50s. So there was not a lot of contact but they, they did some writing afterward for a Christian magazine in the Netherlands, and that's how they kind of got to know each other. Okay. But he also worked, as you said, with the Cheryls, and God Smuggler is actually one of my favorite yeah, all time books. It was a blockbuster
0: book <laughs> itself, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I
1: think it sold 5 million copies. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, it's terrific, as it shows him uh, bringing the Bible beyond that Iron Curtain and all that
0: kind of stuff. But I read in your book that he didn't work with Corey as a in public because she was too famous. Well, yeah, she needed her own ministry
1: because uh, it would it would have been a little confusing to people, and and she was very well known. But she wasn't really well known until the book. It, but she had been working from the mid-40s right up until 1971 when the book was published. And and so she was flying under the radar a lot of the time. She was very well known in, like, Holocaust remembrance circles and, and a lot of Christian circles. Uh, an interesting thing to me is she was much more popular in America than she was in the Netherlands. How do you come for that? Um, I don't know. A, a prophet is not without honor. <laughs> you know, I... I don't really know, except I think America, the American people were ripe for the message in a way that the, the Dutch weren't. They wanted to maybe put a lot of it behind them uh-huh. because it was so personal Painful, and and so brutal. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, the Nazi occupation. Yeah. it was tough in America, but it was a different kind of. But Americans story.
0: embraced her, didn't they? Yeah, they really did. Uh, from and, an early point, she uh, went on the speaking tour, and it was it, it's if you don't know what happened with Corey in the in the seventies, uh, it's really quite a remarkable story. Well, Stan, you've written the book "Victorious," Corey Ten Boom in the Hiding Place. What What was your goal in retelling this story, and going beyond retelling? And you know, you you really make the the story applicable to our time as well. Well, yeah, I got some great advice from a
1: mutual friend, John Wilson. He used to be editor of Books and Culture, and we were sitting down to coffee. John likes to sit down to coffee a lot, <laughs> and. Uh, He said, you know, Stan, don't just make it about what happened then. Make it applicable for readers today so that they can know the significance of Corey. And he told me a little story about um, when he was going to college in California, probably back in the 70s, around the time that the book was released, he was remarking to a Jewish friend that it was really difficult to write about the Holocaust for whatever reason, but he... He really liked the story of Corrie ten Boom in The Hiding Place. And his Jewish friend suddenly got very angry and said, you know, I I don't think that that book should be celebrated at all because it's just an excuse for Christians to feel good about themselves because most of them didn't do anything to help the Jewish people. Hmm. And what John said was, well, um, it's not that uh, I want this to, say, replace the diary of Anne Frank, which is, you know, almost a completely different genre, though there are many similarities. Um, but I want it to be set alongside of it so that we can see kind of both sides of that coin. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that this kind of a book can give us lessons for our own lives, not just to kind of celebrate what one person did, but what we can do in our own context. And I thought that was fantastic advice, Wayne, and I tried to apply it in this book. So how do you express your goal for the reader who, who picks up your, your new <laughs> book on, on called Victorious? I want them to get a real appreciation for Corrie Ten Boom as a human being in a certain context and then um, take the lessons from her own life both during
0: the war and afterwards and apply them in a fresh way in our own lives. And we'll continue this conversation with author Stan Guthrie as we talk about his book and the life of Corrie Ten Boom on First Person. Listening to your station is my first priority when I get home. Sometimes I even listen twice,
1: first on the radio and then through the Internet. Thank you for all your
0: hard work. The Far East Broadcasting Company receives millions of responses each year from grateful listeners. FEBC is dedicated to taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. To learn more, please visit febc.org. That's febc.org. The Far East Broadcasting Company. Until all have heard. My guest is Stan Guthrie. Stan is the author of a brand new book. Matter of fact, it'll be out uh, very soon if it's not already. It's called Victorious, Corey Ten Boom, and the Hiding Place. And we'll have information at firstpersoninterview.com. Do you have a favorite part when you're writing this book, Stan? I
1: do. It doesn't make a major part in my book, but it, it's something that really touched me. And that was when Corey was young before the war. She was probably in her early 20s or late teens. And she fell in love with a, f- a friend of her brother, Willem. The, the man's name was Carol, K-A-R-E-L. And they started taking long walks together and talking and finding mutual interests and those kind of things. And at one point, her brother, William took took her aside and said, you know, Carol is... Um, committed to marrying well his parents have said that he must marry well and you don't have any money hmm. so i don't want you to be hurt but he's going to um probably break up with you mm-hmm. and Corey didn't listen of course you know <laughs> being young and impetuous the heart wants
0: what the heart wants right <laughs> and, in love.
1: and yet uh, carol's uh contacts became less and less until one day he showed up at the watch shop with his fiance, someone else mm. and Um, and of course, Corey put on a good show for a little while while they were there. And then when it was over, she went upstairs to bed and, you know, cried her eyes out. And a little bit later, her father, Casper, who was really one of the heroes of the entire story came up, um, sat down and talked to her about it. And she was just distraught. And he said, well, now Corey, you're going to have to learn to love him
0: in a new way. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's emotional for you to retell that. Well,
1: sure. (laughs) And uh, just to put it in context, one of the great things about Corey's story is that she had to learn to do that a lot.
0: Yeah, loss was a big part of her story.
1: Right, and she had to... To direct it in a God honoring way, in a productive way, and she did that throughout her whole life. Hmm. She, as you'll see in the book, she was far from perfect. She <laughs> had a temper. Uh, she was kind of arrogant and pushy at times. Uh, she was uh, just she was not always the most patient person in the world. She was also pretty uh, strict about money and sometimes had a temper about it if her ministry was spending more than. It had agreed to, so and I think that went back to her days in the watch shop when mm-hmm. she took over the books for Betsy, and it was chaos back then. I think that always bothered her, but she was a far-from-perfect person, but she was a great forgiver, and she was totally dedicated to honoring Jesus with her life, and that's a great lesson for any of us.
0: I get the sense that you, in a, in a way, made a friend with Corey Tenboom in researching for this book that you've written.
1: Yeah, how, how could I not? I mean, there were at least 30 books that she published. I didn't read every one, but I read the ones I thought were the key ones that would help me tell my story and understand her background. And then, you know, many other people have written about her too. So, yeah, if you spend that much time on one subject, you kind of learn um, that they are a real person. So this is not a hagiography, but I, (laughs) I walked away from this thing impressed with her and wondering, you know, what would I do in that situation? Whether it was, you know, losing a love or, you know, facing down a, a Nazi official and and telling them that uh, basically they're in, in great trouble spiritually. Yeah,
0: we touched on this earlier, but let's dig deeper on on the final part of your book, which which is really the applicable part of Corey's story and the lessons from Corey that we need to learn today and perhaps relearn in our evangelical culture today. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought
1: that up. I I, I noted a number of things. There, there are probably a dozen things that you could say are really applicable, and you could have written a chapter on them, but I decided to focus on about five, and the first one was simply her commitment to evangelism. Um, we're living in an age right now that is becoming increasingly secular and, if I may say so, increasingly hostile uh, to the Christian worldview and to... Um, Christians in particular. Obviously, it's not as bad as in other parts of the world. The persecution is not nearly to that level. It's very but, subtle in many ways here in America. But, though. but I think it's growing. Yeah. And so we have to make a, a decision, as Corey did, will we share the gospel, the good news, uh, even when people don't want to hear it? And will we, in that context, uh, be forgiving and be light and salt in our culture
0: yeah she and didn't she shy was. away from naming the name of jesus did no she? not at
1: all in fact there's this one great scene in there uh, i got it from uh, uh, a collection of thoughts from bro- brother andrew he th- she was at a stadium in east germany after the war and uh it was supposed to be held in a church building and the crowds were so big that it was overflowing into the courtyard and so Corey went to the uh communist city officials and said, we must have some outdoor speakers so everyone can hear about Jesus. And they said, well, we just can't do that. You know, this is communist East Germany. And the church was supposed to remain within the four walls. And she says, well, you know that Jesus is Victor and you know this and I've got to have them. And they said, well, Okay, and they gave it to her, and and her whole life was in, lived in light of Jesus the Victor, and that that gives us confidence in evangelism. That whatever our situation, that His name is going to be glorified, and He's going to use it for His purposes. So we can learn boldness, right. in naming was, the name of Christ. She was incredibly bold.
0: Yeah, another lesson.
1: Well, another lesson would be um, just the treatment of the elderly. Um, we are living in an age where. Um, youth is worshipped. I mean, that's a cliche, but it's often true. And um, things like euthanasia are becoming more and more uh, thinkable. We've got several states that have approved it. It's it's legal in places like the Netherlands, ironically. And the book, uh, The Hiding Place, just over and over talks about not only Corrie, who did most of her most at least visible kingdom work when she was middle-aged or older. In fact, she died at age 91. And, uh, you know, until her mid-80s, she was very active. So we need to take that as uh, a lesson to us that uh, people who are older still have something uh, for the kingdom, even if they can't do much of anything. Uh, and in fact Corey had her last five years she was basically bedridden and paralyzed and couldn't even speak mm, I didn't was, know that which was not what she wanted she wanted to die with her boots on but even when she was immobilized she was still um, uh, providing lessons in the Lord's faithfulness to those around her
0: was there anything surprising that you learned as you uh, delved into the life of Cory Ten Boom
1: uh, the thing that surprised me most was how human she was Uh because you don't hear much of the negative. <laughs> there's there's one point where um, I quote from a, a letter of Brother Andrew to her board. He was on her board at some point because he believed in her ministry. And there was an overspending problem. And he said, now, I don't want Corey to get upset about this because she sometimes does. So you need to take care of this. And I was just, I was kind of amazed at how abrasive she could be. And she didn't even realize it. But then maybe at the end of the day, she would be like, oh no, this is what I've done. And she would um, repent. And if she could, she would call the person that day to kind of make it right. There's a story of um, when she's meeting with John and Elizabeth Sherrill, this is years after the book. And some of her former ministry associates come into the room and they have a great time. And you know, she sends them off with a blessing, and John and Elizabeth say, "Isn't that that couple who uh, who kind of uh, cheated you out of some money when you were doing some ministry for them?" I guess, I guess uh, they worked it all out, and uh, you forgave them. And she goes. They didn't work anything out. They still think that they did everything that's r- right, but I can tell you, they cheated me. And she reached into a, a desk drawer and pulled out a, a stack of papers that said, "'See, I can prove it to you.'" <laughs> and and John Sherrill said, "'Now, Corey, you've just been talking about forgiveness, and here you ha- have a whole stack of papers with their sins uh, written down, and isn't that terrible?' And suddenly, she realized what she had been doing all those years, and her eyes filled filled with tears. And as uh, Elizabeth Sherrill tells it, um, they fed those sheets of paper into the fire, and and that was the end of it. But she could be like that, just like we can. And to me, that's an encouragement. Hmm.
0: We thank God for the lives (laughs) of these saints who have gone before us, and all all the foibles and faults along with it. We learn from it, don't we?
1: Yeah. And maybe one more thing I'd like to mention about this. And... The book dwells on the anti-Semitism both during the war years and also in our years. That's another application is that Jews are still subject to that. And as believers, as also people of God's book, we need to care about that
0: and we need to stand against it. Stan Guthrie's book, Retelling the Story of Corey Ten Boom and Drawing Lessons from Her Life for Today's World, is titled Victorious and will be released in a few days. We'll put more information about the book at FirstPersonInterview.com. We're here every week at this time, but if you ever miss an interview, you can always catch up online at FirstPersonInterview.com. And to make it even easier, we have a smartphone app for both Apple and Android devices. Search First Person Interview in your app store. I'd like to take a moment to thank our friends and supporters at the Far East Broadcasting Company who make these weekly interviews possible. The gospel message is so important, and FEBC is doing all it can to make sure that as many people as possible hear the Word of God. Learn more at febc.org. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us again for First Person.